Good evening. Thanks for being back tonight. You didn't have to come back tonight. I'm glad you did. And I trust God's going to bless us as we spend time in His Word. Tonight I want to look at a passage of Scripture that is very familiar. Many of us here would be able to quote it. But sometimes the familiar texts are texts that we tend to take for granted and don't give enough serious thought as to what they should mean to us and how we should respond to them. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read them before we pray. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the day. Thank you that we were able to be together this morning. We've been able to come back together tonight. And we do so in the name of our Lord Jesus. We do so realizing that unless you meet with us and minister to us and bless us, our time spent here will be in vain. But Father, if you do minister to us, then our lives can be affected and can be changed. And so we open our hearts to you and our minds to you and seek your blessing. We pray, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Paul writes these two verses with purpose. He's trying to give us direction. And the direction is brought out in the last part of verse 2. It is this, that you may prove. The term suggests the idea to test and find out. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way it's written in the original is that you might prove the will of God, the good, the acceptable, the perfect. The will of God. The term translated will here is sometimes... and can be translated with the idea of desire, the desire of God, the will of God. Does God have a desire for you, for your life? Or as we might say, does God have a a will for you? Some people don't really think so. I do. As a matter of fact, I am always open to and looking for the next step in this adventure called life. I love it. My wife and I had the privilege of being at our first church, our only church really, but uh, for 26 years. Went there when we were 22 and 20 and stayed there for 26 years. Then he laid on our hearts to be in the ministry we're involved in now, Biblical Family Ministries. And we've just finished our 25th year in Biblical Family Ministries, just started our 26th year. So we talk about it and I say, well, you know what, we're just about ending section 2 of 26 
I wonder what section three is going to be. And I really do. I don't know, but I'm excited about it. She says, honey, don't you think? No, I don't. We had a lot of life to live, a lot to be done. So I don't know. The third 26, we'll see. Let me ask you a question. Does God care? I've often thought about this. Remember the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road? What an experience. He he is confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus says to him, "It's, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, the goads. Paul had been under conviction. And he had been resisting what the Lord was trying to do in his life. But now here's the confrontation. And basically on the Damascus Road, I think most of us would agree, Paul came to know the Lord. But remember his question to the Lord was this then. He said, Lord, what? Wilt thou that I do? Now that wilt is the same word as as here. He said to the Lord Jesus, what do you desire me to do? Now wouldn't it have been something if the Lord Jesus had responded, I don't care what you do. Been something, wouldn't it? But he didn't say, I don't care what you do. He gave him instruction. He gave him direction. Sometimes people think God doesn't care what we do. He cares what you do. And you and I ought to be concerned about that. Lord, what would you have me to do? What do you want me to do? Paul ends up a missionary, as you know. And uh, in Acts chapter 16, I believe it is, let me turn there quickly. Paul is uh, somewhat wrestling about where to go. And so we read this in Acts 16 in verse 6. It says, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, And we're, look at it, forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. He wouldn't let them go there. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Does God care what we do? Yeah. Does God care where we go? He does. Some would have the attitude, well, who cares? As long as you're preaching the gospel, everybody needs to hear the gospel. But Paul said, well, I think I'll go here. And God said, no, that's not where I want you to go. Well, then I'll go here. No, that's not where I want you to go. I do have a place I want you to go. And Paul went. Lest we think this is just for apostles. Remember James in chapter 4, he writes... And he's basically talking to what you and I would call a businessman. And he says, go to now, ye that say, uh, for the next year, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there and I'm going to buy and sell and I'm going to get gain. And, And James said, you know what you ought to say? If the Lord wills, same term here. You ought to say, if that's what God desires me to do. That's what I'll do. But you know, many Christians don't live that way. Many Christians have given little thought to what God wants them to do or where God might want them to do it. 
and they simply go plunging into life with their own plan. Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is going to talk to us about this because he's going to say, I'm going to tell you how to discover the will of God, the desire of God, if you want it. Do you? I don't think I've ever sung this before, but I paid close attention as we sang it. All I ever want to be is what you want of me. Lord, I give my life to you. And all my hopes and dreams and plans I place within your hands, Lord, and give my life to you. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Take my life and mold me. All I ever want to be is what you want of me, Lord. I give my life to you. And all my hopes and dreams and plans I place within your hands, Lord, and give my life to you. We sang it. Did you ever do it? Did you ever do it? That's what this text is all about. Let's look at it. Paul has talked of the mercies of God a number of places in this book, but much in chapters 9, 10, and 11, referring to both the Gentiles and Israel. He's talked about the mercies of God, and now he's going to bring a challenge to these believers at Rome based on their appropriate response to the mercy of God. You and I who are saved have experienced the mercy of God. There's not one of us here who doesn't deserve to go to hell, but God saves us, and he is merciful to us. And I hope you could say tonight, well, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I hope you could say that. But saying that, you're acknowledging, I have experienced the mercy of God. And so Paul says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, on the basis that you and I have received God's mercy, he said, I'm beseeching you, I'm challenging you with this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You ever done that? That's not salvation. It's after you get saved. If I asked you when you got saved, if you are saved, you could give me the time. You might not know the date. Some folks don't know exactly the date, but you know the experience if you're saved. You can say, I can tell you what happened, and I trusted Christ. I know I became a born-again Christian. Praise the Lord for that. Could you, with the same assurance, say to me, and I want to tell you about the time I presented my body as a living sacrifice to God. You ever do that? If you haven't done that, you need to do that. You might say, well, I'm old. Well, no, it's about time you do it. I'm young. Bless your heart. Do it. The term present suggests the idea, as is brought out in the, the verse, of giving a sacrifice. 
Now, when somebody gives a sacrifice, what do you do? Well, you present that sacrifice as unto the Lord, knowing that it's leaving your hands. Many sacrifices burnt, consumed to honor God. God says to us, I want your body. And I want it as a living sacrifice. I want your life consumed, used up to bring honor to me. Will you give it to me? The body, I think, is representative of our total person because the body is that which God has given us to express what's going on in our heart, what's going on in our mind. We express that through the body, what we say, what we listen to, where we go, all those kinds of things. There's not a whole lot of regard, not proper regard for the body today. Hold your place here in Romans. But let me just remind you of, uh, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is challenging the believers there with surrender to the Lord. And in verse 13, he says this, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it, the belly, and them, the meats. Now the body is not for fornication. The body's not for fornication. The body is not for immorality. But he said, but for the Lord. And I want to focus on that for a moment. The body, yours and mine, the body is for the Lord. Do we use our body for the Lord? Don't you marvel at what people do with their bodies today? I do. What they do to them, how they use them what they put on them. <laughs> no, your body's for the Lord. It's not for you. God saved you, and he says, I, I want your body. I want you to give it to me. It's mine. He reminds us in verse 14 that God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his power. This body, should Jesus tarry, will someday die, but God's going to raise it up again. And by the way, the same body. That was the whole evidence that the Lord Jesus gave of resurrection. He said to the disciples, look at me. Look at my hands. This is me. The same body that went into the tomb is the body that came out of the tomb. And the same body that goes into the grave is the body that's going to come out of the grave. Same body, the body. It's very sacred to God. Remember verse 19. He said, what? Know ye not, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The day you got saved, the Spirit of God entered into you. You didn't feel it happen, but it did happen. The Spirit of God entered into you and you became the temple of the Spirit of God. He is in you. You have him of God. Last part of verse 19, you are not your own. You don't belong to you. Why do we act as if we belong to ourselves and we can do whatever we want to do? No, God bought you. God bought me. And so verse 20 says, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. What's it mean to glorify? The term has the idea of raising the opinion. In other words, when somebody looks at you, is their opinion of God raised because they know you're a Christian. That's the idea of it. We live in such a way that somebody says, 
That guy's God must be something because look what God has done in his life or her life. And the opinion of God is raised. God is glorified in and through us. He said, glorify God in your body, the outside, your spirit, the inside, because your total being belongs to God. And so Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. God, I take my hands off of my life. You have saved me. You have been merciful to me. And I now present myself to you. But God says, but I want that sacrifice holy. Holy is a word that always means separation. Always means that. It's funny because in the church today, people don't want to talk about separation, do they? It's kind of a bad word in some circles. I hope it's not a, a bad word in your life. Separation. But you know what people stumble over? Uh, they stumble over what they should separate from. Now, I separate from a lot of things, but I learned a long time ago the heart of separation is not from. The heart of separation is to. And when you and I look at God and say, God, I want to separate myself, my life to you. I'll tell you what, that'll pull you away from a whole lot of other things. You don't have to make a list. Well, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't go there. I should... All you got to do is say, Lord, I just want to live for you. I want to magnify you. I want to glorify you. I want to honor you. And I want to tell you, immediately life changes. I've often told people that I'm so grateful that when I got saved, I got saved out of Roman Catholicism. Uh, my wife and I met in high school. She was saved. I wasn't. She witnessed to me. And her dad, good dad, wanted nothing to do with me. You know, you stay away from him. But she asked him if she could invite me to a tent meeting. Yeah, okay. So I went to the tent meeting, got saved. I always tease, I told my wife, you know, honey, your mother didn't believe I was saved until I'd been in the ministry 10 years. And then she, okay, maybe he really did get saved. But I think he only did it, you know, for you. I don't think it really happened well. But you know what? Here's what I'm grateful for. Nobody came to me. I started going to her church. Nobody came to me and said, well, now you're saved. You know, now you need to do this. Now stop doing that. You start. Nobody did that. I'm so grateful. If you do that, leave people alone. Say it kindly. But what's wonderful is when God begins to work change in your life as he draws you to him. It's wonderful. That's what this is about. That's what holiness is. It's us being separated unto God. And he said, that's the kind of sacrifice I want. And then he says, I want you to be acceptable to me. I want you to please me. We get in trouble trying to please people. I remember my kids were growing up and they would wrestle with that being a pastor's kid. And, and I would say, now listen to me. If you please God, you'll please anybody else who is worth pleasing. hope that didn't seem unfair, but that's what I told them. Because there's always somebody who... You know, wants to tell them what to do, what not to do. All you got to do is focus on pleasing God. That'll take care of everybody else. 
That's what God wants us to do. And then he said this. This is your reasonable service. And the idea of that term is this. I've taken time to give consideration to this matter. And I have become persuaded that this is the appropriate thing to do. It is reasonable. This is not super Christian. This is the normal Christian. This is what's supposed to happen. This is not what necessarily takes somebody to a pulpit or a mission field or evangelistic service or whatever it might be. It may do that, but this is not about that. This is about us who are saved saying, Lord, I'm just giving you my life. And you can do with me anything you want to do. But see, underneath it is this. Lord, the reason I'm doing it is because I've got to know your desire, your will for me. And this is the pathway. And I suggest you don't find the will of God if you don't follow the path. And for that reason, I'm fearful there are many Christians who really don't know much about God's desire and will for them because they have not followed this path. And so if you're here tonight and you have to say, well, the truth is I have never done this, then you got to do it. You got to do it. He gives other requirements. He says, and be not conformed to this world. If there's anything wrong with Christianity today, it is that Christianity is becoming conformed to this world. The term conform means to push into a mold. So you take your Play-Doh or whatever it is and you push it into a mold and when you peel it out, what you peel out looks like what you pushed it into. This, don't be conformed. Don't be pushed into the mold of the world. Know who you are as a Christian. Live for God and don't let other people affect you with the trends and the fads and the whatever else that's going on. As you may know, there are two different terms in our Bible that are rendered world. One is the term cosmos. It has to do with the world system. The world system has always been against God. It has always been anti-Christ. It is never going to change. It is locked in its rebellion against God. But there's another term for world, which is the term we have here, and this is the term I own, which can be rendered, and you probably see it in your noted Bible sometimes, it can be rendered with the idea of the age. Now, what's the difference between the world system and the age? Well, the world system is, again, anti-God, anti-Christ, always in rebellion. The age is that world as it is at any given time. You see, the age is always changing. The world today, on its face, is different than what the world was on its face 25 or 30 years ago. 
We used to think there were certain things back then that were bad, and we didn't have a clue what was coming. And all of a sudden, wow, the world is so much worse today. We well, see, that's the age. Sometimes the term culture is used. It's a good term, but it's a term that people don't really perhaps understand because I've had people say to me when I talk about these things, well, you know, the culture is changing. It certainly is. But most people don't really know what culture is. Now, we talk about our culture, and we go to another country, and they have their culture, and we usually think that culture has to do with, well, this is what they eat, and this is what they wear, and they have a variety of customs and practices, and that's their culture. But culture is greater than that. Culture includes their religious practices, their social values, their means of entertainment, their education, their business. All these things that are going on all the time makes culture. Is ours changing? It is. But do we really know what that means? I want you to take a moment and look at the word culture in your mind. See it? C-U-L-T-U-R-E. In that word is a religious word. What is it? Cult. And when you and I talk about cult, we think that's bad. And cults are bad. However, the term itself is a term that speaks of religion or worship. The word culture goes back to a couple of Latin terms that, again, are rooted in the idea of worship. Our worship of God has to do with the God that we worship and the God that we serve. Now, here's the point. A culture of any people, in other words, their social values, their domestic values, their entertainment, their view of education, all those things that we might put there, ultimately is an outgrowth of their worship. Why is our country changing? Because we aren't worshiping the God of the Bible anymore. And because we have stopped worshiping him, it is affecting everything that we do. Without the Bible, how do you know what marriage is? How would you know? Well, my opinion and his opinion and her opinion would, would all be of equal value. If we didn't have something to go back to. Well, you see, what we used to go back to in this country was this book. But this country doesn't go there anymore. So the discussion of marriage is up in the air, right? That's why things are changing. Paul says this to us. You must not, Christian, be conformed to this world. This Age, the changing culture. Got to know who you are. You got to know why you live the way you live, why you believe what you believe. And you cannot go the way of the world. How important is that? I'll tell you. It's this important. We're on the pathway to discovering the will of God for us. And if I let myself be pushed into the mold of the world, I'm going to get off track in my walk with God. I'm not going to get where he wants me to go. I'm not going to do what he wants me to do. It's critical. He says, instead of being conformed to the world, we need to be transformed. 
The word here transformed is the same word that is translated transfigure, referring to the Lord Jesus. Same term. He was transformed or transfigured. This is telling us we need to be. What's that mean? Well, I've often said if we could see the Lord Jesus walking the the streets, the paths of Galilee, you look from a distance, you'd never know who he was. You'd never know he was God in the flesh. A very special time, he took three men up to a high mountain and he was transfigured before them. And what happened was the reality of Christ, the inside reality, was all of a sudden put on public display. And they saw him. Saw him for who he was. They saw his glory. John said, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Well, you see, when you and I get saved, there is a new inner reality. We have been born of God. We are the children of God. We are on our way to heaven. Paul says, do you understand that that reality, that inside reality, has to be put on display so that people can see on the outside of us that reality which is on the inside of us? You look at some people with no one particular in mind. But you look at some people and you say, well, they say they're saved, but you know something? You'd never know it to watch the way they live. You'd never know it. The world is supposed to know it. They can look at a family and they should say, you know something? Something is different there. God is there. Something is different there. But to look at many Christian families, you'd never know it. And there are some churches that put the name out front, be it Christian or Baptist or whatever it might be, but if you went inside, you'd never know whether or not they really serve the living and true God. That's what he's talking about. A transformation, and notice what it says. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are too many people today who don't think right. And they don't think right because they are not thinking biblically. And you and I have to get into this book to find out how to live and how to think Because God's intent is that we will go through a continuing transformation, if you will. Continually growing and learning, becoming more and more what God wants us to be. That's what's supposed to happen to us. Why all of that? So that you and I can prove test and find out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Today there are some people who say they want the will of God, but they won't pay the price to find it. 
And there are others who are happy enough just to be saved and they aren't interested in the will of God because they don't want God to shake them out of their comfort zone, to change them, to change their direction, content with what they're doing, content with their own plan. And perhaps sing this, but never give thought to really what it says. But what about you? It's a song I used to hear sung. I haven't heard it in years, and I don't know enough of the words to try to sing it. <laughs> but I know, this brother might know it. It started like this. Here's my life. I lay it on the altar. You ever hear that song? Any of you? You ever hear that song, brother? Here's my life. I lay it on the altar. You ever done that? You ever said that to God? Here I am. And putting myself on the altar means, God, I'm willing for you to do with me whatever you want to do with me. Because I'm not my own. I'm yours. So here I am. You ever done that? You might sit there and say, no, I haven't. I'm not doing it. It's the only way to ever find out the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All we should care about is this. Lord, we're doing what you want us to do. We're living the way you want us to live. You've saved us. We've given our life back to you. Can you use us? Here I am. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is very practical, it is very personal. But Lord, I thank you that you are personally involved in our lives. You, Lord, who takes note of the sparrow that falls, care about us. And I pray, Father, that we would not take this text lightly tonight but would be very serious about it. And if there are folks here this evening who could tell of their salvation but could not relate to this text, I pray you'd make the challenge very personal to them. They might be willing to present their bodies a living sacrifice to you. And I pray for all of us. Father, stir the heart of young people. Stir the heart of those who are further along in life. Bring us to surrender. We'll thank you for it. 
As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask you a very simple question. If you're saved, can you say, and I have also responded (coughs) to this text? (coughs) And if you never have, will you? Tonight? Say, I need to do that. I want to do that. Can I pray for you? Just an uplifted hand says, Brother Griffith, I've never done that. But I need to, and I want to, and I want to do it here tonight. Is that you? I see your hand. Anybody like that? Yes, God bless you. Others? Yes, way back there. Thank you, darling. Yes, sir. God bless you. Others? Say, no, I've never done that, but I need to. And I want to. Anyone else? If you raise your hand, or maybe you're thinking about it, I challenge you right where you are, right now, just pray. Say, Lord, I want to do this right now. Right now, I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. I want to know your will, your desire for me, and I'm willing to do anything you want me to do. God will bless you. Let's all take.